0: Hello and welcome to the Future of Australia podcast. Here I interview the entrepreneurs running the fastest growing businesses in Australia. These interviews will be around the themes of entrepreneurship, new ideas, business, innovation, capitalism and successful enterprise being the motor that will drive Australia forward. I will be telling the stories of the people who are making it possible and as they grow and strive further will become a bigger and bigger part of Australia's future. My name is Derek Stewart, your host and the founder of Future of Australia. Check us out at futureofaustralia.com to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, get exclusive content and ensure you never miss an episode. For questions or comments, email me at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Welcome to episode 7 of the Future of Australia podcast. In this episode, I interview Mandeep Sodi, the founder and CEO of Hashching, a fintech marketplace for mortgage brokers. We discuss how years of working in the big four banks caused him to become disillusioned with their ethics and the event that triggered him to leave the corporate world and start a business. After two startups with mixed success, hear how six months into his third startup, Hash Ching, he came one day away from shutting down the business. Hear how he persevered to now facilitate over $15 billion of mortgages annually and grew revenue nearly 1,000% last financial year, now turning over $800,000 despite being in business less than three years. If you are looking for a transparent way to find the best mortgage broker in your area based on unbiased consumer reviews and get the best rate on your home loan, check out hashching.com.au. That's H-A-S-H-C-H-I-N-G.com.au. So I'm here with Mandeep, the CEO and founder of Hashching. So, Mandit, can you describe what were you doing before Hashching? You know, what did you study? What type of um, work did you do, and with what type of companies before Hashching?
1: Sure, Doug. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me on your show. So, before Hashching, uh, so let me take a step back. We, I actually migrated to Australia in two thousand. Uh, I did my undergrad from University of Wollongong. Uh, When I finished my university degree, then I got offered a role at Accenture, Uh, so Accenture is a global consulting company where I started as a graduate, Uh, worked on a few government projects, uh, then a financial institution project uh, and then I got moved into CBA. there was a major project going on and Accenture was working on it, but they hired the whole team. Uh, and that's how I ended up at Commonwealth Bank. Uh, so I worked there for four years, uh, then six months at AMB. and then my last role was at Best Bank for four years in the business strategy space as well. So did a lot of uh, work in banking, but in different business units because I wanted to learn how banks operate. Uh, and I used to get bored after nine or ten months, and so I used to switch business unit. uh, but I had a good connection. Uh, I was really good in networking there, so I I made my way to different business units uh, along the lines.
0: Okay, so so it sounds like a lot of large corporate and sort of um, banking experience, definitely. And then how did you jump sort of from that to starting a business?
1: So I came across... uh... A really interesting situation uh, uh, so I was, in 2014 I was looking to buy my first place uh, you know everyone has that dream home and I was taking that step uh, in 2014 and I used to post about uh, my job at bank to all my friends and family that you know this is the reason why you should work at, at a bank because you get these special rates or discounted rates that no one else can get outside banking And I had a really frustrating experience because uh, a friend of mine was also looking to buy his first place, never worked in banking, and showed me an offer letter from my bank uh, that had a lower rate than what I could secure after the staff discount. not only that was a frustrating and embarrassing moment, uh, I actually took that letter to my branch uh, and I said, can you beat the rate? And if you can't beat it, at least match it, because right now it's very embarrassing that I can't get this rate. And my bank then said, we can't match this rate because it has been uh, provided by a mortgage broker. Um, so again, more frustrated, uh, frustrated with the whole experience that I, I, at that point, I also finished my executive MBA. So it gave me some confidence as well uh, to go on my own and start this uh, venture. So I launched Hashing after that.
0: So, were you before that? Were you basically intending to spend your entire career in sort of in banking if it got you a good rate and allowed you to sort of get the home and the lifestyle? Was that sort of your plan beforehand?
1: Yeah, the plan was to be a general manager one day and hopefully uh, a CEO uh, of a bank. But obviously, it didn't pan out that well. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a frustrating. I got frustrated giving it all my all, but having to bend to institutional rules and ways of working. You know, I, was, I used to be called a Microsoft guy at Workplace because all I did was just PowerPoint, Excel, and Microsoft Word documents. Uh, I decided to leave it all behind and find something else. So that was the last time I ever worked for anyone else in my life and waste my skills. Uh, not to mention the, uh, the corporate experience did help me in my success uh, so far. Uh, it helped me analyze the problems that banks face today and why they can't uh, move as fast as us so it was a great experience but yes i decided to quit my job in december 2014 and start hashing after that
0: okay and was that the first business you had ever started
1: i did have a business before that uh, so i did two startups before hashing so one was uh, in online liquor space uh, i had to sell that business within 6 months uh, interesting story again uh, i launched it before gfc um and the site just went through the roof and we started getting so many orders because as soon as the gfc was hit the corporate orders started coming in because no one wanted to have a that beer room uh, at their workplace anymore because everyone was trying to cut down on costs mm. and they wanted someone to be delivering the alcohol very quickly uh, <laughs> and i was the only website around back then uh, in sydney in 2008 uh, so i started getting a lot of orders but again uh, uh, I took some shortcuts as well. it was uh, you know the, not the right licensing and by the time I got the licensing approved, it was getting so much headaches, regulatory headache as well. So I decided to sell it um, uh, to a to an institution uh, who took the whole startup and bought it and they integrated it in their own website. Uh, the second was one was a major failure uh, and I quickly realized after my second startup that I need a tech person to be on. Uh, on my journey as well, uh, before I can launch the third one, uh, which is why I launched the uh, Hashtag with a with a co-founder three years ago, who had the tech
0: background. So, what was the second one? The first one was the um, alcohol delivery one, and then what was the second one?
1: The so second one was basically you can find local deals from an app. So basically, if you're if you're in Sydney CBD. You're walking around 2 or 3 p.m., uh, you get a deal from the local store, which is probably 100 kilometers away, or oh, sorry, 100 meters away from you. And the store manager is looking to meet the target, uh, daily target. Uh, and they can push a notification uh, saying, I'm giving 30% to anyone who's within the 100-meter area um, so that I can close uh, uh, meet my sales targets for the day. But also, they don't have to publish these uh, discounts uh, publicly uh, on, a, on a website. So it, it can only go to people who are in that vicinity. Um, so we tried this uh, back in 2012, uh, but we were using Google Maps and they were not accurate. So when we were trialing, uh, um, so we were in Paramount, but the location was coming up as probably the Pitt street mall, which are like way up far away from each other. Um, so the technology wasn't working. So we were too early. Um, so that's why we had to uh, yeah, stop the project. Uh, and decided not to proceed with
0: it. I think it's interesting because I believe both of those are sort of fairly successful concepts now. It's of alcohol delivery is a big space and also the sort of geo-targeted, like hyper-local discounting and promos and loyalty things are also quite a popular space. So yeah, you're definitely ahead of the time, but probably too far ahead or ahead of the technology, I guess.
1: Correct. And I think I wasn't patient enough as well. And I think in, uh, when you're running a startup, which was a good lesson for me, you've got to be patient. And you, uh, you know, perseverance is also also plays a key role as well. And I think I lacked both of them when I did my first two startups. Uh, so definitely this time I was a lot more patient.
0: Yeah, so you're coming from this big corporate and some government sort of background, so you're used to probably things moving almost slower. So maybe when you took away all that, uh, all those institutional sort of barriers, like you said, you almost went too fast um, and sort of spun out a little bit the first two times. Correct. Okay, and then so, so what about hashing? So you've had two, you know, business startups. By then and, and learned along the way and then what was the first 12 months of sort of running Hash and starting that like?
1: So first 12 months were really difficult and I think uh, for any startup, uh, any entrepreneur can relate to that. The first 12 months is where you're trying to get your first customer but also first 100 or first 1,000 customers uh, and get, uh, get some more feedback from them so then you can quickly uh, add more features or pivot if you need to. Uh, So in our first six months, uh, we actually had a lot of uh, regulatory issues. We had a letter from ASIC as well. Uh, basically saying uh you know shut down the the website if you don't fix these, these things and we were a bit naive as well uh had the wrong advice uh, legal advice from someone as well uh, but uh, it all got fixed uh again we acted on it very quickly uh then i came across a really good mentor Claire letter who's still uh, an advisor to hashing mm-hmm. uh, and she also um sits on uh, a lot of other fintech advisory boards um and a, a great legal background. Um, so she actually helped me a lot in my first 12 months. So I think the, one of the key learning was that do not be afraid to ask for help and reach out to the right people. There are people uh, there's help available uh, out there. You just gotta find the right person. Uh, and make sure you offer them the right incentive as well. Uh, In your early days when you're starting a startup, of course, you do not have the cash, but how do you compensate with other things like equity in the company to make sure that you have the right uh, mentors who, who can advise you and be there for you.
0: Yeah, that's very good advice. And what? How did you feel when you were sort of six months in? You're working hard, and you basically get like a cease and desist type letter from ASIC. I mean, did one part of you almost sort of panic and think, just sort of shut it down, or or you knew that you'd be able to work your way through it?
1: Look, uh, quite frankly, I think uh, that was the end of it because um, it happened on uh, just a day before the long weekend, uh, which was the Easter weekend. So I still remember that day. Uh, So we received the letter on Thursday and they requested a full um, response by the Wednesday next week. Now Friday was a long weekend so we received on Thursday evening. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday were just all public holidays so we found Claire on a weekend uh, through H2 Ventures and got connected but she was really good. Um, She spoke to me over the long weekend when she didn't have to uh, and got the letter ready by Tuesday and then we sent the response by Wednesday morning but the timing was really bad, but because I had Claire on my side, uh, on the long weekend, uh, you know, when I spoke to her on, I think I spoke to her on Sunday, but Saturday night I was ready to wrap up the whole startup, go back to my corporate job. I was really depressed. And, you know, the, the the wording of the letter was really shocking as well. And, and because it, it actually intimidates you a lot when, when a regulatory body is saying to you, like, you you'll be going two years in in jail or $200,000 fine, so it kind of scared us, uh, but once I spoke to Claire, it was all fine. Um, so you obviously changed my mindset and then decided to yeah, continue with the startup.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting sort of how close things can come, especially in the early days when the business is so fragile. I mean, if you hadn't opened the mail that day or you didn't read it or you were busy and then they said, oh, well, you had your chance to respond or if you weren't able to get Claire it almost all could have sort of unraveled uh, right on that spot. So it was, um, yeah, it's it's quite a a sort of turning point. And then after that, and you sort of, you got everything compliant. And then, so by the end of year one, how were things sort of looking? You were compliant, but you still have all the the growing pains of a a new, brand new sort of business? Yeah, so
1: by end of year one, uh, once we were all compliant, uh, then the growth uh, wasn't there. So first year, we we struggled a lot uh, in terms of the growth because it delayed our launch by seven months. We were originally supposed to launch by January 2015, but because of the compliance issues and obviously getting the tech ready, we launched it on 1st of August 2015. Uh, So obviously got delayed by seven months. uh, And then when we launched, uh, we were trying to find the the right product fit, uh, market fit as well. Um, so, there was a lot of feedback from brokers who were testing a, a product. So, uh, To give you an example, we uh, in our first year, uh, till end of December 2015, we only had written 10 million worth of loans. Um, but today, till date, uh, or we've only received uh, back then 100 million worth of applications by end of December uh, 2015, uh, but now we've received over 15 billion worth of home loan applications it's growing really fast. Uh, but first 12 months, it was a growth issue. Uh, then we figured out what campaigns were working really well, what messaging uh, people could relate to. Trust was a major factor as well. Um, a lot of fintechs, we noticed, uh, and we experienced that as well, The trust is a major factor in Australia. So people are still conservative. Uh, so you've got to build the trust very quickly, and you have to be transparent. Uh, and then when we realized we, we were backing the right, uh, uh, you know, the market. since we had a marketplace, we were backing the right brokers. People understood what the value proposition of brokers were, and we just banked on it straight away.
0: Okay, and, and do you find it's mainly a sort of a younger demographic that's more willing to try a sort of fintech approach, like a 1st home buyer, um, someone in their late 20s, early 30s?
1: It has moved towards the first home buyers in last 12 months initially we were getting uh, more inquiries from 35 to 49 year olds so uh, more around who who, who got an owner occupied place by looking to invest uh, and need some strategic advice or, or tax advice where brokers could help them uh, because of the complex structure they have in place with smsf mm. uh, but over the over the period uh, because we have so much awareness now out in the market and what we do and we've explained the mortgage broker model really well to millennials as well we've noticed that the first home buyers are also coming to our platform who are now saying to us look i do not understand or it's it scares me when i think about home loan so help me out get someone to help me who can do all the work for me because i'm i'm really a busy person so sometimes a complete online solution doesn't work for these guys who who do not even understand what offset uh, means or redraw means there's so much complicated terms and banks have done a great job to make it even more confusing and complicated and that's why they expect you to come to a branch so we we try to connect them to now mortgage brokers and they get the understanding of our model as well so it's shifting towards more 24 to uh, 39 year olds now okay
0: interesting um, and so in the last financial year, uh, you made the Fin Review 100 fast starters because you grew your top line revenue a 1,000%, getting up to about $800,000 a year in turnover. So you've mentioned a few of the things that sort of drove the growth, but was there anything in particular or everything sort of lined up?
1: I think uh, one of the major things that we, that drove drove the growth was the, the awareness. Um, so PR worked really well for us. Uh, you know, I guess, again, as we are an independent <clears throat> independent marketplace, a lot of journals reached out to us, or the journalists reached out to us, asking, you know, how is hashing different? And we told them uh, our model. Uh, and then they found really interesting that you know people weren't aware of these things. So they started writing I- articles about us. So that drove a lot of organic growth for us as well. Uh, we also started sharing some customer reviews and testimonials who was who were telling us that because of hashing they were able to you now fund education for their kids because of the savings they received, and they were happy to jump on a video uh, to do a video about that, uh, the testimonials. So we shared that on uh, social media, and that just went viral. So that drove a lot of our growth and awareness for for us and that helped the growth uh, on the number of applications and also brokers recommending other brokers to us
0: yeah because that's um, all of your businesses have been so sort of these marketplace businesses where you're bringing two different parties together so you've got to balance that demand and supply right otherwise it sort of collapses on itself
1: absolutely and we we did not come up with a new proposition so what we we basically banked on the growth of uh trust and loans through mortgage brokers so if you think about it now loans through mortgage brokers are growing every year Uh, so 56 percent of uh, loans are now written by mortgage brokers uh and it's growing every year on year now because the the consumers already understand the value of mortgage brokers we just banked on that and we just tried to connect them to the, the right mortgage broker in the area but the problem we were trying to solve is who's the right broker in your area who's got more recommendations and reviews and that's what we executed really well
0: so creating that sort of visibility because someone might know they need a mortgage broker but then they don't know how to pick a mortgage broker
1: correct i mean if you if you think about a uh, scenario outside hashing uh, you know you want a loan uh, you know the mortgage broker value proposition but where do you start you jump on google there's so many mortgage brokers there're no genuine reviews and recommendations some are just getting their friends and family to write reviews on their on the mortgage page uh, but there's no independent platform out there as such uh, so we take that whole um, burden out of the the consumers uh, search criteria because all they have to do is just fill out a form and we'll find them the right broker in the area who's got reviews and recommendation from others so that trust factor was built very quickly
0: mm. and, and so obviously it's great to get all this pr all this attention like you said the messaging and and people finding you but then on the sort of service delivery side and sort of scaling up so quickly, how was that experience in that year where you've sort of gone 10x um, and 1,000% growth um, but then sort of fulfilling that?
1: Yeah, so in first few years, or actually we've only been around for two years and seven months or less than seven months, but uh, in first year we made a lot of uh, mistakes as well, uh, but also we learned very quickly from those mistakes. Uh, so we learned from the broker behavior who are the good, brokers, who are the bad brokers. Most of them are 95% are are, are great brokers, to be honest. Uh, So we just wanted to learn uh, from their behavior, how quickly they call a customer. So we started recording their response time. Uh, We started rewarding them for uh, great review collection. So in our first year, we did not have a review collection system. Mm. Um, The only reason we brought it out uh, after first year is because we realized that consumers were, some of them were having bad experience with Uh, a minority of brokers on our platform and we thought we need to solve that problem very quickly uh, because we need to build trust uh, as well Uh, so we launched the reviews and rating and as soon as we launched the reviews and ratings uh, our growth just went 10x after that Um, so that was the major turn point for us but again it was all from the learnings and feedback from consumers and brokers as well
0: Yeah, because that's the challenge, when you're sort of a platform that the behavior of the people on your platform obviously reflects on your brand, like if someone uses you to find a broker and they're not a good broker, they're going to be annoyed at you. Um, So having that really good quality control process and transparency must be so important. Absolutely, and uh, what we do, uh,
1: and we still do it today, we we make sure that we have a fortnightly catch up uh, with brokers where we bring them to our office, uh, take their feedback. We also have uh, catch up with consumers who've used their platform. Uh, so we do that once a month as well, where we ask them what worked, what didn't work. Uh, all those things add up uh, because we are reaching out to them again and again, asking them for more feedback and how we can do things better uh, from last time. Uh, so it's important uh, for any startup to take feedback on board in, a, in the right way and act on it very quickly. So if, we, if a broker gives us feedback, we try to re-implement that within a week or two uh, and that just gives a wow experience to them and they also feel that the company is listening to me.
0: Mm. And so, so what about the other aspects, obviously when you take on a lot more customers, you've got more customer support, more um, like I said, just strain on sort of all your processes. What were some of the hard parts there on the, the other aspects of sort of fulfilling this big spike in demand?
1: So with the customer support, obviously we had to grow the team significantly as well. We were getting uh, a lot of calls, Um, then we launched a live chat as well. We figured out that we cannot be taking on calls all the time, Um, it's just not cost efficient for us. Uh, And we can't have a a resource sitting in our office uh, 24-7 and even last year we were getting 1,000 home loan applications a month, Mm. we're now seeing 3,000 home loan applications a month. Uh, so when we were last year when we got thousand home loan applications month uh we started seeing some uh you know a lot of calls coming in our office so we launched a live chat uh so when we launched the live chat we were driving traffic towards live chat so people have a lot of questions there they want to know what hashing is is it a trusted brand how many brokers you have and there's so many questions uh, and then we started uh, handling them through the live chat resources we've got overseas um so we don't you don't need a live chat resource sitting in your office so we could reduce the cost that way. So again, there were a lot of learnings for us uh, how to scale the business quickly as well. Uh, the team quickly have the right team culture in place as well. Uh, we made some, uh, couple of wrong hires as well. but mm. We quickly realized that we made the wrong hires. Uh, so we were quick to fire them and, you know, bring the right culture in the team as well. There all sort of challenges.
0: Yeah, and, and so you're operating in a massive sector. I mean, the property and, and banking Uh, you know, make up a huge amount of the sort of Australian economy and and technology is obviously a key part of your platform, you're a fintech company. So where do you see the future of sort of fintech or or technology I guess in general interacting with sort of property and, and financing in the future? Sure.
1: Look, the current digital world has primarily moved to the world of APIs Uh, and APIs basically for your listeners, application programming interfaces um, and a completely new way of looking at processes that are consumers journeys or customer journeys. Now, fintechs that are more transparent about their fees and processes will be able to win the trust quickly uh, than other fintechs uh, competitors and the financial institutions as well. Now, banks have been trying to keep up with this curve while they're doing their best to come up with great user experience at front end to get the customer in the door. Their legacy systems and ongoing customer services have gone great to bad as well. Now, according to the Millennial Disruption Index, uh, 71% of young people would rather go to the dentist uh, than listen to what their bank is saying, which came out just last month. Uh, And the new research also says that a third of millennials now expect to be bank-free in the near future. Uh, meanwhile, 75% say they would prefer financial services from startups and tech companies such as Apple or Google because they spend more time on those devices or technologies. So looking at that, uh, I think uh, there will be a lot more APIs uh, sort of coming into the picture as well. And people would prefer or the or the millennials or even the consumers will would prefer to bank with just one uh, sort of uh, application so to give you an example if they're coming to hashing uh, to get a home loan uh, why don't we help them with other uh, products as well like if they want a deposit or they want robo advice we could just open up apis to other fintechs and they can plug into our system and we can offer the same customer who came to us for home loan all the other services that a bank would provide yeah. so i think that would be that would be the future we can also help them with their property search Later down the track, and that's kind of uh, I'm getting into the vision of Hashing as well, and where we where we want to go in the next five to ten years as well, that we would become uh, the main uh, portal for some consumers, uh, and for some consumers we would be an API. So if someone goes to let's say Acorns Australia to uh, do the you know the investing uh, where they can put the spare change and um, get some growth out of it, maybe uh, Acons can do some home loans through us. Uh, I'm not saying there's any partnership in place, just to clarify, but I'm saying that whoever's using uh, an application to get some banking service or one banking service out of fintech will also be able to provide other banking services to other fintech startups. So the consumer will not have to go to their own bank anymore in future.
0: Yeah, because that's sort of a big point of frustration, isn't it? Dealing with all these different suppliers from the consumer, filling in all these forms, getting approved for all these different things. So if all their data is sort of in one app and then that can feed into other apps or, again, within one larger framework, it sort of takes all that duplication of effort and time and sort of having to physically go to a place um, away, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely, I mean, I don't know about you, but if uh, I've got three bank accounts, so like you know, I've got three banks I deal with. Uh, once with my main bank, another bank is a credit card that I have uh, from my previous employer. Uh, so it's really hard to manage these, those three apps. Uh, you know, I keep forgetting my password as well. Of course, I moved on to fingerprint login and all sort of things. But wouldn't it be great if it's just one app where I could do my personal banking? I could do my business banking from one app as well and also manage my home loan. So I I just think no one has provided that solution. And I think that's where the future will be going into that whatever uh, first startup you deal with or what first fintech you deal with for any account opening, they will be able to provide you all the services without you having to go to a branch because the first fintech has already verified your details or identity and they can share with other uh, startups as well or other uh,
0: service providers. Yeah, and I think part of it is also people sometimes end up locked in, I guess, to one provider because they want like all their accounts in one app, like you said, their personal business credit, home loan. And the only way to do that is if they're all with one financial institution. But if some a competitor has a better offer, they feel like, oh, well, then I'm, like you said, managing multiple systems or I've got to move everything there and and so it's sort of, in some ways, I guess it blocks competition if it's not easy to access multiple providers in a seamless way, either.
1: Correct. And uh, look, uh, if you lock in with one financial institution, uh, that financial institution is never going to come back to you and say to you, "Hey, we noticed there's, there's another financial institution giving giving a better rate on your on the credit card interest rate." You know, they will never promote uh, the other. Uh, financial products outside of their own, uh, on their own, uh, the, the products that they can offer. Uh, so they will be always biased. Uh, and I think you need like an independent service provider, uh, whether it's hashing or any other startup uh, where it can give some confidence to the consumer that they are independent, they are transparent, uh, and also give a clear uh, picture of how, what's the fees uh, and cost to the consumers and win their trust.
0: Yeah, so creating that visibility um, across different platforms. And like you said, putting the consumer first because you're not, uh, you don't have a vested interest as a single provider. You're the platform that sort of brings together everyone. So, no, that's a really good point. So, I think
1: the consumer will be able to rate and review those financial services and products as well, so that as a platform provider uh, like us, we then get to know that how is this consumer rating the other financial products and services so we can be transparent to other consumers as well and they can look at it and also make the right informed financial decision.
0: Yeah, so if one provider starts slipping in their service or their quality or something like that, it will quickly reflect in the reviews and people's feedback and they're getting sort of up to date um, information on who's doing well and offering good things and who's not. Absolutely. Okay, and and so what? Are, stepping back a little bit, and, and talking about sort of entrepreneurship in Australia in general. Obviously, you're you're very much in the fintech space and the technology startup. And what what do you see Australia sort of doing well in terms of startups and new business, and and what could it maybe do better?
1: I think we've got the right ecosystem uh, in place now, so we're seeing a lot of startup hubs coming up. Uh, we're seeing some uh, new accelerators uh, dedicated to some to fintech uh, and some to food delivery. So there's obviously a lot of buzz uh, and some of them is also hype as well, I must say. Uh, but there's again right ec- ecosystem, there's right infrastructure in Australia. Uh, you know, you can be in CBD through, uh, I don't know about other uh, cities, but uh, if, you, if you're in Sydney, You can be in CBD through the public transport very easily, Uh, so which which makes sense as well, Uh, because a lot of startups are you know they they cash poor. You don't they don't want to be spending money on the cars and everything like that. Uh, And then acceptance of startup as a career as well. I've noticed that that is coming up as well. People are now choosing startup uh, or working for a startup as a career as well. Uh, In my days, where in early 2000, it was uh, working for a bank used to be big thing. Uh, But I don't think uh, that's the case now. People are open to have a startup as a career as well. What I'm still not seeing really well in Australia is not enough support from the investors. So we keep saying that we want to be the next Silicon Valley, but I think we are far away from that. Uh, And the reason for that is we still got the same old investors who are still risk averse um, and also still prefer models that are more copycats of successful models. Uh, And while while a lot of investors claim they don't like hearing, you know, Uber or something, uh, but they still want a validation that someone has done it somewhere, without actually understanding if the startup is solving a serious problem in Australia, Uh, you know, some startups that are successful overseas may not be the right startups for Australia as well because of the different audience we have here. So I think this investor side, they have not moved ahead. Um, so we still got these analysts who just look at the numbers, but do not back the real entrepreneurs. So I think that part is missing in Australia. We don't have the right investor support. Government is doing a lot. Uh, you know, the state governments are stepping up with their grants uh, and the loans that are valuable. But what's still missing is the VC or the investor side. Uh, I think there can be a lot more done in that space.
0: Mm. And, and do you see that sort of changing? I mean, in the years you've been sort of doing the business, and, and do you see it sort of slowly starting to turn?
1: I haven't seen any drastic change, to be honest. I mean, there's still a handful of uh, investors or VCs uh, to tap into if you're looking to scale the business, uh, and they still come up with the same sort of reasons, uh, you know, what they like and what they don't like. Um, so. Um, But I'm really hopeful that uh, this will start to change because we've been talking to some overseas investors who who are asking us what is the best way to launch in Australia. There's a lot of talent they see in Australia. And even I, like when I go to any startup hub, I meet other startup entrepreneurs. They have some really great ideas. And I think you can easily have few unicorns uh, in Australia. Uh, But it's just they're, they're not backed by the right people. I think it, there's a dirt of capital here in Australia at the moment.
0: Hmm. And so, what advice would you sort of give someone? Again, maybe you meet a twenty-year-old at one of these sort of startup events. They've got some ideas. Maybe you know they're studying or or sort of working in someone else's sort of startup. What advice would you give them, um, knowing what you sort of know now about starting and running sort of businesses?
1: Yeah, the advice I would give is uh, stop stop trying to prove to yourself, to your siblings or to your parents or to the world, uh, do what you like is best for you. Um, so I come from a different background. So, you know, obviously I grew up in India. You know, there's a lot of expectations from Indian families and parents when they sent me here, obviously what they wanted me to end up in a as a software engineer or initially, you know. Before my HSE, they wanted me to be a doctor or lawyer, but I failed to meet that expectation each time. Uh, so when I got a job at bank, so they were really satisfied, but I wasn't satisfied. Um, so I keep telling the you know the eighteen year olds or twenty year olds, you've got enough time. Uh, you should taste uh, flirting with a lot of different things because you will be crippled by the fact that what if what if you don't uh, try those things? Uh, and so there's no right or wrong uh, at that point. So. Just, Keep trying different things, uh, and you will find out. You know, you will have some failures, but failures give you a lot of learning. As I mentioned, I had two startups, and uh, those two startups actually gave me a lot of learning as well. But you rather understand or learn from them quickly at 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 that age, so that when you get to your your late twenties, you have a successful business as well, up and running. Uh, Time is not on your side when you're when you're in late thirties or forties or fifties. It keeps going away, so you will never get that time back. Uh, so, you know, if you're in your early, uh, early 20s or late uh, teenagers, this is the right time uh, to jump into that game.
0: Yes, yeah, so, so you made a really interesting point about sort of family expectation. So, when you quit your sort of big corporate banking jobs and said you're going to sort of start your own business, what was the reaction of your sort of family and immediate sort of peers and social circle?
1: I'll be very honest, uh, and this was because uh, of my situation. Uh, So my father, uh, for the first two years, did not tell anyone that I had my own startup uh, back in India. So he was still telling everyone that uh, Mandeep is uh, working for a major bank or big four bank and and he's earning a great income. Uh, But he was not uh, accepting that I have started my own startup. Um, so that was a difficult time. So, you know, not getting a pine from your own family members, and again, different upbringing. Uh, you know, no one in our family had done done business. So, kind of uh, was hard for me to explain to my parents uh, or my dad. Uh, but look, um, you know, after two years, we they they realize what we what I'm doing, and now they feel uh, they're obviously proud of me. But yeah, it was really difficult in the first two years, uh, and not bringing that income. Uh, to home so they obviously used to get uh, dons from my my siblings or, or my uh, my dad as well that you know he should start looking for a job or go back to bank
0: yeah and, and so but had you been sort of interested in business before or I mean at some points do you consider maybe just leaving banking if you didn't like the industry versus sort of starting a business to fix your own the issues you saw or you'd sort of always have an interest in business?
1: I never had interest in business to be honest uh, mm. the only reason I jumped into the startup was because I got frustrated uh, at my last row it was just I kept giving it all uh, and having to bend to those rules and the the ways of working that didn't align to my thinking you know and working at a bank you realize that you are ripping off customers right so uh, you could see a lot of uh, ways we we could rip off customers and I didn't like the that didn't align to my values. Um, and also, the last straw was when I couldn't get a better deal, uh, even though I worked as a banker. So, if a banker can't get a better deal, uh, think about those consumers. they they, they definitely get it ripped off. Um, so, that's why I decided to start my own thing. But I never had that intention of starting my own business.
0: Yeah, so even on the inside, you still were sort of getting ripped off, which is um, sort of, I guess, funny and sad at the same time, right? Correct. <laughs> Okay, so, so just a final point. Um, you mentioned a, a little bit, but but where do you see sort of hashing in five to ten years, and what's your vision and sort of plans for the future of it?
1: Sure. So if you think about hashing, it's a marketplace where we have two-sided customers. Um, so we've got a mortgage brokers and we've got customers. The next five to ten years, we'll be focusing on how we can help the borrowers make the right financial de- decision but with the right human and tech support available 24/7 when i say the right human and tech support these are the mortgage brokers mm. who are on the other side who can then focus on the sales side or also focus on helping the consumers make the right financial decision because if it i mean a lot of startups are, are trying to you know get you a loan in certain minutes or certain seconds i mean think about it like if i give you a million dollar loan that you have to pay for the rest of your life in 10 seconds Or a minute, that would be damn scary, because you would not know that whether I got the right product, and plus you will be paying uh, for that next thirty years. It's not a taxi ride from A to B like Uber, that you do not uh, need a human interaction or you do not need a special expert uh, to help you in making that decision. So we still think that for the next five, ten, two years, five to ten years, uh, you would need some sort of human support, and we want to do is. make sure the brokers have the right tools uh, so that they can focus on just on talking to the consumer and not worry about collecting a bank statement or collecting a passport copy, because that can be taken care of by technology. Uh, It's the having a meaningful discussion with the consumer saying, now I have the 360 view of your financials. What, what do you, where do you want to be in the next 10 years? And I'll help you get there in next 10 years quickly. That's where we think we can add value.
0: And I think that's a really good point about, so some other people are trying to sort of solve the wrong problem, like giving really quick financing. When the issue isn't sort of speed, people are willing to take a bit more time as long as they're confident that they've got the right thing. They don't just want the quickest money. They want the best rate and the least fees and the actual, the best decision. Because like you said, it's a 20, 30-year decision. It's not a taxi ride.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Look, when you start talking to people, then they start... Uh, when a broker starts talking to consumers, then consumers start opening up. Hey, uh, I, I want to send my kid to a private education, you know, uh, and I need to save this much. And that's where the brokers then starts realizing. Look, this is not the right product for you. Then, if you if you want to do that, then maybe this is the right strategy for you. Uh, and this is where brokers can add value. Now, a, cons- a, a technology or a software cannot ask this person uh, the consumer as a question that. Where would you like to be in 10 years' time? Would you like to send your uh, kid to a private school or public school? That would be damaging for every customer experience. Mm. But these questions uh, can only be answered when you start having that personal relationship with the consumer.
0: Yeah, and and so do you see sort of um, expanding internationally in the near future?
1: uh, I mean, if you you think about 10 years, uh, we want to be able to help borrowers anywhere in the world to get a home loan. Uh, And be able to buy property anyway. Again, there's some lot of regulations in place, but we hope to solve that in next ten years uh, through technology and also working with the regulatory bodies uh, in every single country. So that's that's our plan for next ten years.
0: So, so keeping the sort of the existing product and value and sort of scaling it geographically rather than sort of adding. Being marketplaces for other things like maybe financial advice or, or things like that.
1: We we are looking at other verticals as well, but I think that's probably in ten years time. Yes, we want to be financial We want to be marketplace for all financial products uh, and not just home loans. So whether you're looking to do some improvements to your home, uh, renovations, or personal, or looking to have a start a new business, we should be able to help you with all that. Uh, we'll connect you to the right broker as well who can help you with that.
0: Mm. All right. Thank you so much, Mandeep. Is there any final words or, or thoughts or anything I've missed that you'd like to say? Uh,
1: the only thing I would say to your listeners is don't overthink. Just do it.
0: Excellent. Thanks a lot.
1: Thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast in iTunes and leave a review. Better yet, tell a friend about it who you think may enjoy the content and get something useful out of it. Feedback, comments, likes or dislikes, you can reach me by emailing Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at futureofaustralia.com or you can call or text me on 0404-689-897. Thank you.